Well, they call it overreaction Monday for a reason, and we sure as heck are going to have a lot of overreactions today. Welcome to the Critical Eye Podcast on a Monday, a chilly Monday here, November 29th. Final podcast before we hit the month of December. Hope you and yours are well. Hope your Thanksgiving weekend was great. Isaac Petcast, Joe Lebneski, NFL, CFL standout Joe Von Johnson joining us as always for this episode here on this Monday afternoon. Gentlemen, here's where I stand today. I'm a, I am tend to be an optimist. I, I like to see the brighter side of things. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. At least I would say I am. Yesterday, though, I was kind of feeling a little glum because to me, it looks like both teams that played on Sunday yesterday that are in our viewing area are done. And I'm starting with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I cannot think of a game in the most recent history of the team, let's say the last five years, that was more telling of where this franchise is at than this game yesterday against the Cincinnati Bengals. 41 to 10 aside, the final score being as drubbing as it was. I saw an organization that was built on defense, that's relied on defense, that has won games on defense this year specifically. Virtually all of its wins have been on defense get absolutely steamrolled by its own game. The Cincinnati Bengals game plan, guys, was simple. We're going to run the football down your throat and we're going to win. And when you start looking at this Steeler defense, there are a lot of liabilities. I want to start first with Devin Bush. Should not in any way, shape, or form be on a starting defense in the NFL at all. And now as we get to the point where you look at the last few first-round draft picks for Pittsburgh, it's been mostly defense. We'll go back all the way to 2013. Jarvis Jones, a bust. Ryan Chazier, if not for his injury, would be a star, but unfortunately, we can't count him because he's no longer in the league. Moving on to 2015, Bud Dupree, bust, now with Tennessee. Artie Burns in 2016, I practically forgot he was even drafted by Pittsburgh. T.J. Watt was a hit in 2017. You have Terrell Edmonds in 2018, who's a bust. Devin Bush in 2019, who's the second coming of Jarvis Jones. Guys, I want to start with this. I know I went off on a tangent there. Pittsburgh clearly this year is done, in my mind. And to be quite honest with you, this defense to me is becoming a liability more than a strength. You know, I, I think it's, it's funny you, you talk about that. And a couple of weeks ago, It was this insane, you know, laughable conversation that Mike Tomlin would go to USC. Um, uh, Reportedly, Lincoln Riley turned down $12 million a year to go to LSU. If you watched the game yesterday and you're hearing LSU is offering $12 million and you're Mrs. Tomlin, aren't you packing? Now, I understand he's probably not going to go backwards, but – you know, I think Mike Tomlin, if I was Mike Tomlin, I would I would consult Urban Meyer. What's you know, what's the sort of health issue that can get you out of coaching in the broadcast booth for one year? And then you can take Urban Meyer's job and coach Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville in two years. Um, it's Kevin Colbert's out. Um, Brothersberger's got to be out. If you're Mike Tomlin, Joe Vaughn, do you really want to stick around for that? What element of that team? What element? Of that team, if you're Mike Tomlin, thinks, boy, I'd like to see this one through. None. I'm gone. Yeah, I'm out of there. Um, you know, at this point, I think they just blow up the whole organization. 
um, you know, not talking the Steelers organization, but just offense, defense, special teams. I think they just blow it all up. If you got money invested um, in certain guys, Roethlisberger's definitely out. Um, you know, some of those other guys, you know, you, uh, it's time to start unloading some of those contracts. Um, the only guy worth keeping around is Cam, Cam Hayward and, and TJ Watt, in my opinion, um, because everybody else has looked subpar, if not average at best, on a good day uh, in the last few weeks. Giving up over 600 yards rushing in the last three games, that's not Stiller football, and that's never been Stiller football. They need to get back to what they know. Guys, and I and I hate to be the bearer of even more bad news for Pittsburgh. You talked about TJ Watt. Guess who just got placed on the COVID list for Pittsburgh? TJ Watt, their star set of defensemen. Breaking news coming in as we're on the air right now. TJ Watt placed on the COVID list for Pittsburgh, meaning he's guaranteed to miss this weekend's game against the Baltimore Ravens. So Pittsburgh, in their most crucial game of the season, will not have their best player on either side of the football. Guys, the defense itself was abysmal. I'm not going to lie to you, though. I don't know if the offense is capable of scoring 20-plus points again for the rest of the season. Ben Roethlisberger is back to where he was. And, it's and you know, I don't want to say those few wins in a row were a fluke. They had to fight to win those games. But it almost feels like those wins were a fluke. It really do. And, and Joe, I, I, I don't I've never been on the bus of Mike Tomlin needs to go. I, I think it's going to be hard to find a replaceable coach in this league, but I, I'm kind of with you. What part of this organization looking at that game yesterday makes you proud? And also think about this, too. These are the guys Tomlin has drafted the defense in particular. These are Tomlin's guys. The fall goes to you as the head coach, in my opinion. Well, I don't know. That's the thing about the, the Steelers, and you, you and I have gone back and forth about this with Roethlisberger and Colin plays. I don't know. I don't know how much input Tomlin has. I mean, you know, Kevin Colbert gets, you know, all the praise in the world for, you know, the Antonio Browns of the world but doesn't really ever have to pay the tab on now what appears to be Devin Bush along with Jarvis Jones and, and, you know, yada, 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 Artie Burns, which by the way, Artie Burns does still play. So it, to a certain defense, there, there is that. Uh, and Bud Dupree did get paid. Um, but I don't know. I don't really know how it works, right? Like, you know, the Eagles, for instance. Okay. So, I mean, I, this is maybe a bad parallel, but I, you know, I grew up being an Eagles fan, so I still pay attention to the Eagles. The Eagles have three first-round picks, right? There's a lot of people that are asking the question, hey, you know, this is a, a turning point in the franchise. But do we trust Howie Roseman to be the guy behind the wheel? I mean, he's the guy that picked Jalen Reger over Justin Jefferson. I mean, Jalen Reger literally had the ball hit his hands twice yesterday with the chance to win the game. Couldn't get it done. That's a major swing and a miss when, when you talk about the draft. So I guess my question is, is A, if Colbert goes, which I it, everything points to that, who do they replace him with? How much say and does Tomlin's, you know, change, you know, how much change is there in the power structure when it comes to this? And then thirdly, you know, Mike Tomlin has been there 15 years. He knows how the game is played. And if you don't think for a second, you know, he's not looking at Jacksonville and thinking, boy. 
you know, I can get paid comparable money from CBS or ESPN or, or Fox to sit there. I don't have to work as much. You know, go watch my son play at Maryland. Be a good deal. Urban's going to wear out his welcome. He doesn't stick around long anywhere. I'm Mike freaking Tomlin. All I got to do is make a call. I'm going to jump to the front of any coaching line that I want. If, you know, Trevor Lawrence is, in fact, the dude. I mean, at some point, Tomlin has to look at his legacy. Because here's the deal. They're not going to be a playoff team again this year. When's the last time they made the playoffs? I mean, the, the playoffs aren't even on the horizon. So, I mean, if you're Tomlin, you know, it, there may not be a better time to get out using the excuse of you're just going to go out with your GM and your quarterback. Well, the Steelers didn't make the playoffs last year, but, I mean, they've only had three playoff wins in the last 11 years by my count. Win, I mean. Win, I apologize. Win. Oh, I it's, it, it, was, uh, it would have been, was it 2015 or 16 when they went on that run to beat Cincy and then beating Kansas City in the AFC divisional round? Um, but it has been some time. And, and you know, going back to Tomlin, I, I think it's fair to place some blame on him. But yesterday in the waning moments of the game, because I did painstakingly force myself to keep my eyes open and watch what was a massacre at that point, there were no starters pooled. And, and there was a lot of talk after the game about Ben Roethlisberger and how he stayed in the game and his comments afterwards about, you know, I don't want, I never wanted to come out. I wanted to show my toughness. That's how we play. You know, there were comments made earlier in the week by Tyler Boyd, one of the Bengals wide receivers about how Pittsburgh, he thought gave up in the fourth quarter of the game against Cincinnati in week three, when the Bengals beat the Steelers 24 to 10 in Pittsburgh. And Mike Tomlin is not known as a coach who takes things to heart. He, he kind of says it like it is. He, has a friendly relationship with players, but I almost wonder if Tomlin took that comment to heart. And there's a part of me that looks at Tomlin right now. And I think he, in his mind, maybe he's lost Jovan. I don't know what you think. Maybe he feels like he's lost some of the respect based on the fact that his team is no longer a powerhouse. They're no longer feared. That defense is no longer a unit that teams worry about when coming into play. Do, do you get that feeling with Tomlin that he almost is in a predicament here that he feels like he's lost some of that respect? Let's say even credibility as a head coach, now knowing how the Steelers are as an organization. I, I wouldn't say Tomlin feels like he's lost any respect because uh, knowing Tomlin – I think he he's borderline one of the cockiest coaches that I've ever met. So to say that he may feel that he's lost some respect, I doubt that. But um, he may have, in my honest opinion, lost a couple guys from the locker room that just for whatever reason don't feel like they really want to give him everything they got anymore. I mean, I don't know, you know, what that reason is. I don't know why, you know, guys aren't playing – to a higher standard or being held to a higher standard because the stiller way is not what we've be we've been given the last uh, few weeks of the season. So I'm, I'm not really sure uh, what's going on in Pittsburgh, but whatever it is, I'm sure that the, uh, the management and ownership is going to get it right. Tough for Pittsburgh right now. And again, when it rains, it pours TJ Watt, like we said, being placed on the COVID list, which means, he won't be able to play on Sunday against the Ravens. And, and really, I mean, not that we're holding out any hope here for Pittsburgh because I think they're done. But if they have any hope and prayer 
of making the playoffs. Heck, if they have any hope and prayer of a winning season, let's just leave it at that. They have to win Sunday, and they're going to have to do it minus their best defensive player against the Ravens team that just won a football game last night after turning it over five total times, four by their quarterback. Let's transition to this, guys. Can somebody explain to me, and I think there's a pretty easy answer for this, at some point, the focus has to narrow down for underperforming teams to a couple of areas. Last night to me, like last afternoon was to Pittsburgh, a very clear indication of the problems. We saw Pittsburgh's issues. It's their front seven and their quarterback. And now for Cleveland, we know what the problem is. It's their quarterback. How in the world a team forces five total turnovers, four interceptions of Lamar Jackson, holds the Ravens to under 325 yards of total offense and 16 points and can't win a football game is beyond me. Now, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I don't think this is that big of a shock. I don't think Baker Mayfield's getting paid what he's going to want next year. But can somebody tell Kevin Stefanski that at some point you need to move off this guy? At some point, you need to understand that what you have waiting in the wings, although not immaculate, is better than what you have on the field now. Baker wasn't just not hitting throws, guys. He was missing wild. I mean, is is it getting to the point now where Kevin Stefanski, to me, I think is being too stubborn? Because I don't think there's any question. Baker needs to sit. No question, especially with the injuries. This is one of the oddest things that we've got we've got going. I mean, it's very how often does the losing quarterback outplay the winning quarterback by a significant margin? And losing quarterback has drop after drop after drop in and in a drive that they I don't know if they're gonna win the game, but they were gonna put themselves in a position to maybe win the game. Uh, I thought Baker Mayfield Baker Mayfield played pretty well last night. Uh 17 carries, 40 yards, eight in the box, pass rush. By the way, uh, Odafe Owe, don't call me Jason, and Micah Parson uh, are two of the most dominant rookies we've ever seen. Uh, Odafe Owe is the real freaking deal, Jovan. Uh, this one, I mean, I watched the game and I just kept watching Twitter and people are banging on Mayfield. I'm like, what are you people watching? Uh, I think I think the issue is Kevin Stefanski. Uh, in this instance, it's not the quarterback. Um, even Chris Collinsworth is like, why is why is Demetric Felton in the backfield? This is a, I mean, Kareem Hunt's your pass catching back out of the back. Like, there were more things that the Browns did that made no sense than the issues that Baker Mayfield has had. Um, I thought one of the gutsier performances. You know, you know, you talk about Ben Roethlisberger and the way he gets propped up by how tough he is, blah, 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 blah. Baker Mayfield may do a bunch of cheesy commercials, but I don't think anybody in that locker room questions his uh, questions his toughness. And I, I think the other thing, Joe Vaughn, which is to me really telling, and I don't believe it's the quarterback's fault, but uh, there's a new trend in the NFL, players' dads taking to Twitter to complain uh, again, I've said this two straight weeks. I'm going to say it again. Uh, the, the NFL coach of the year has fallen down the coaching ladder and hit every rung on the way down. 
Kevin Stefanski is a bigger issue than Baker Mayfield. And if you disagree, rewatch the game. The guy was under pressure all night long. And let's be honest, Lamar Jackson's one touchdown probably should have been his fifth pick. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I thought, I thought Baker played a manageable game. Outstanding. I don't think he played that great, but I think he, I think he managed the game very well. Um, the inability to get the run game going from the Cleveland Browns, I thought were, was surprising. Um, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb didn't really carry the ball as much as I expected. I think they went, they got away from the run game extremely early. Um, you know, when you, when you're, you're star running back, you know, only touches the ball 10, 11 times in the game. It makes it tough to beat anybody. Um, you know, and we talked about that with the Steelers and, and Najee Harris, but, you know, Stefanski, I think, is getting in his own way at this point. I think he's just trying to do things um, a little bit out of the ordinary. I don't know if he wants to get looks at different guys or, or what the case may be, but um, I think he is right now becoming a bigger problem than Baker Mayfield, and Baker Mayfield is – the casualty to the problems that he's creating because we talked about before going into the game about how they need to utilize Hunt and Chubb together and we not once seen that and then you see uh, Hunt being the pass catching uh, running back out of the backfield and then on certain situations he's not in the game I don't I really don't understand what is going on in the minds of the Cleveland Browns coaching staff you know, in that fourth quarter, the last drive of the game, instead of having Hunt in the backfield, they had Dearness Johnson in the backfield. Not to say Dearness Johnson is not a valuable option, but, you know, when you have a guy like Kareem Hunt that catches the ball out of the backfield, can run the ball, he can do a lot of different things with his skill set. He's the more valuable option in, in the last two minutes of a football game. So I think Stefanski is starting to lose the Cleveland Browns team. And, you know, I don't know how he's going to get it back. I mean, and yes, Baker Mayfield played one of the gutsy performances of his career. He, he's a tough guy, you know, and, and I think I think he needs to focus more on football and stop worrying about what the fans think. Guys, you know, I, I, I don't really quite understand the take. Um, I understand part of it falls on Stefanski, and I do think it's abysmal that you only give Kareem Hunt the ball seven total times in a game in which he returns and only give Nick Chubb the ball eight times. But, but let me ask you this. Let me phrase it this way. There's another team that we cover very closely that has the exact same offensive statistics nearly every single time they play a football game, and that's the Buffalo Bills. We talk at length about how Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, Matt Breida, when's the last time any of them have had double-digit carries in a football game? But we don't complain about Sean McDermott in his game plan. You want to know why? Because Buffalo's competent at the quarterback position. They have a guy who can bail out the head coach. Should we be getting more on Sean McDermott for his lack of play calling because the offense isn't balanced enough? The Baltimore Ravens last night showed you what they thought of Cleveland. And they weren't scared of coaching, but they were scared even less of Baker Mayfield. Jovan, how many times in the game last night did Baltimore come in and stack the box with eight? I'd say, what, 80% of the time? Is that about right, Absolutely. you think? Yeah, they, they sent pressure 
pretty much a vast majority of the game. That to me indicates one thing. Teams understand that when they play the Cleveland Browns, all they have to do is stop the run. And that falls on the quarterback. I'm sorry. This Cleveland defense has improved over the last four weeks. The 16 points allowed to Baltimore, forcing four turnovers off of Lamar Jackson. They have gotten increasingly better and better and better. John Johnson now starting to finally show up in the secondary with one of the most incredible interceptions I've seen this side of the 21st century. You can't put the blame all on Kevin Stefanski when you have a quarterback out there who legitimately can't throw the ball. And and let me say this too. We talk about how last night was a manageable performance from Baker Mayfield. Are you kidding me? What standard have we given the Browns quarterback to make it that low that last night's game was manageable? Did he make any mistakes throwing interceptions? No, but 18 of 37 for 247 and one touchdown when, let me also remind you, five drives started inside the 50-yard line during the game last night because the defense bailed you out and you only get 10 points. I'm sorry. Kevin Stefanski deserves some of the blame because, again, like I said, you should not have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt out of your personnel with a combined 15 touches. But we don't harp on Sean McDermott for not giving the running backs the football enough. Why? Because they have a competent quarterback who can bail out the head coach. Cleveland yeah, we talk, we, But we, we, do, we do give the Bills a lot of, um, a lot of you know, disgruntled, um, words because we talk about their their inability to run the football every week. But have we ever but put it, have we ever put the onus on the coach? That's my question. I mean, how many times during the show have we mentioned Sean McDermott and called him out? Not that. But they but the the Buffalo Bills are built to throw the ball. They're the Cleveland Browns are built to run the football. I mean, it, it's total opposites in to, total opposite opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, Sean McDermott knows what he has in the quarterback, but at the end of the day. They're not going to win games in the playoffs if they don't run the football. And the, and on the flip side of that in Cleveland, when you have you have to run the ball to win, they, they're not going to beat anybody with Baker Mayfield throwing the ball 40 times a game. If Baker Mayfield was Josh Allen and he was in the Browns uniform, the Browns would be much better of a football team because his ability to throw the ball with more accuracy and, and velocity is just outstanding in comparison to Baker Mayfield. But that's just yeah, like, I, th- I think go, go ahead, well, I think that would be I think that in order. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with you, Isaac, with your take. I just think you're mistaken with what you're saying, because if we ever came in and had a conversation about the Bills that lost the game 16 to 10, that were never down more than one possession. And Josh Allen only threw it 15 times. And Devin Singletary and Burita and Zach Moss ran it 37 times. Then I think we would have a conversation about Sean McDermott. The issue with Kevin Stefanski is you have the best, you're the best rushing team in the National Football League. You have the best one-two punch of backs in the NFL, and they carry to combine 15 times while your quarterback, who's clearly not healthy, with it facing all out, you know, all out blitz and cover zero basically the entire game, getting lit up by Queen, who's going to be a superstar linebacker in this league, and he's throwing it 37 times a game. So, I mean, if if in fact the Bills ever went into a game lost 16 to 10 with the opposing quarterback throwing four picks and Josh Allen only threw it 15 times. I'd be like, you're right. This is a hundred percent factual, but that's not what happened. It's actually the total 180 of what happened. And that's why it is on Kevin Stefanski 
Now, it's a different question. Is Case Keenan give you a better chance to win? But I can tell you this right now. The Cleveland Browns are not built, regardless if it's Bernie – well, maybe Bernie Kozar, but whether it's Case Keenum or Baker Mayfield, they are not built to win with the quarterback throwing it 37 times. Well, but here's – again, the problem that I have is this, guys. I don't care who your head coach is. I don't care if your head coach is Ron Rivera, if your head coach is Urban Meyer, if your head coach was Bill O'Brien when he coached the Texans. I don't care who your head coach is. When you have four chances – Inside the 50, forcing four turnovers. Kevin Stefanski is not the one on the football field. Now, did the play calling maybe hurt Cleveland a little bit? Sure. Again, I will completely admit to you, 17 total carries is abysmal. However, the onus is on the offense to put the ball in the end zone. And at the end of the day, you have to know that you can't score three points on four turnovers. So, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm not saying that we can't give any blame to Stefanski. I think though we have to give equal blame to the players on the field. And that starts with the quarterback. I mean, again, are we, are we, let me, talking- let me ask you, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. I sure. think this is an interesting I mean, counterpoint here. When you watch that game, did you think, boy, if they only had Josh Allen, because when I watched that game of all Joe, one of all the things that were going wrong, where was Baker Mayfield on that list? Like I, I could, I was infuriated that JOK wasn't a spy on Lamar Jackson every play. I don't understand when they're running a zone to bring pressure off the edge from the field. That makes no sense. Well, hold, hold on, hold on a second. I, I got Joe. I got to stop you. I, I have Baker right up there at the top. L- l- let me ask you this: Do you think Josh Allen scores more than three points off of four turnovers in that game last night? I surely think so. Also, with Cleveland's defense. When you look at Lamar Jackson's stats from last night, if I were to tell you before the game last night, if you were the head, if you were Kevin Stefanski, Joe, and I were to tell you that you would hold Lamar Jackson to 165 yards passing, 68 yards rushing, and pick him off four times, you think you're going to win that football game? It's an execution thing. It has to be an execution thing. I mean, the stats don't lie. They don't. Yeah, they ran it 17 times. Right. I and, agree. That, and that part right. is on coaching. That part and, and that's why I again, it's not all on co- it's not all on Mayfield, but a lot of it has to be. You have to convert. You just have to. Yeah, you got I, you I just think convert. that I think that Mayfield's the lowest hanging fruit and it's a very fashionable thing to do. I just I think that's it. I think it's a narrative that a lot of people have used in order to get Mayfield out of there, which I don't have an issue with it. But again, when the Browns were good last year, was it because of Mayfield or in spite of Mayfield? I don't know the answer to that, but the team's DNA, as we talked about yesterday morning, Joe Bond, is essentially the same, and now all of a sudden they stink. Why? Yeah, I think that has to fall on the quarterback. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you, your quarterback is the leading force for the team's success, and right now Baker Mayfield is playing manageable football, but he's not playing – football at a high enough level to get them over the edge and help them win games. I think that that's the problem. And, you know, the Patriots kind of exposed them in the man-to-man cover snaps that he, that they played against him. He was ineffective all game long. And then the, the Ravens just showed that if you put pressure on them, they make them even more ineffective. So, you know, at some point he's going to have to step up and be able to make throws under pressure and versus man coverage. 
And that's going to be play calling from the head coach on the way down to the quarterback. They, they all have to work in tandem. So, you know, I give both of them the blame. At some point, they're going to have to, to make some changes. Something's going to have to switch. At the end of the day right now, nothing's working for Cleveland. I think we can all agree on that. This team is 6-6. Six and six. They get a bye week mercifully. Baker Mayfield, gosh, does he ever need it. And they'll play Baltimore again, this time at home in week 13, next week at 1 o'clock. So, local teams, not looking good. But there's other news we got to get to, and we can specify this as college football as a whole. I got to give props to you, Joe. Your takes aren't all great, but the one you had on Sunday morning was spot on. Joe Ledesky before the NFL end zone show said, listen, why wouldn't Lincoln Riley go to USC? It makes total sense. Lincoln Riley is now the head coach of a team in the Pac-12. And, and you know what? I'm a little bit surprised by this, guys, only because it's very difficult, I think, as a head coach to leave a powerhouse program when they're at the height of their power. How much of this do you guys think was specifically Oklahoma moving eventually to the SEC? Or how much do you think this was he just wanted a new gig or wanted to dominate? Because I, I can't put my finger quite on what it is. I don't know. I think, it, I think it's probably a little bit of everything. But I want to – something, some shade that was thrown by Jim Harbaugh. And I assume this is where it was directed. It, it made sense. But, it, you know, he's such a weirdo. He said to uh, the, the reporter post game about how you – something about standing on third base and, and think you hit a triple. Yeah, you can be born on third base and think you hit yeah. a triple. Yeah, and that had to be directed at Ryan Day, jumping right into the seat that Urban Meyer had vacated. You can make a pretty strong argument that Lincoln Riley's no different. Bob Stoops had that thing humming, and you know, there he went, right? And there was no misstep. Um I mean, obviously, it makes total sense. You know, you, you got to wonder the where, you know, the recruiting base there is certainly big. Well, I mean, again, all I all I said was, and my rationale, everybody, you know, everybody made that argument as to why James Franklin would go to USC. And, you know, my argument was in the grand scheme of things, nine out of 10 years, the only, the only thing standing in front of Penn State in the college football playoff is Ohio State. Whereas Oklahoma to the, you know, to the SEC, they're going to be a two, three, maybe even a four loss team. They're not going to be as dominant. Um, so I, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of those things that made sense. And by the way, I don't know if this plays into it or not, Joe Vaughn, but you know, Ed Ogeron won a national title and was the coach a year in 99. He got canned. Dan Mullen has done a, done a remarkable job at Florida. He lost six games in a row and he got canned. Maybe Baker Mayfield didn't want to run the risk that OU was going to start operating like an SEC school, and all of a sudden he goes six and five, and they're going to fire him. Yeah, I mean, they're going into the SEC for Oklahoma, no matter how high power they were in the Big Twelve, is a is a day and night uh, adjustment they're going to have to make. They're not going to be the almighty Oklahoma Sooners from the Big Twelve. They're going to be a middle of the pack Oklahoma team in in the SEC having to deal with Alabama, having to deal with Georgia, who's going to be powerhouses in that conference and getting recruits. It's going to be hard for them to recruit the caliber of players that they can get for and to play in the Big 12 as they will have to in, against the, the SEC. I think him going to USC was a great move on his behalf uh, because in the Pac-12, 
they don't play defense. And what is Oklahoma really good at? Offensive football. So I think he's going to go over there and, and uh, he's going to probably get a few guys from Oklahoma that he recruited to come over to USC. Um, I think Spencer Rattler um, or Ritter, whatever the heck his name is, I think he's one of the guys that it, that's probably leaning towards um, if Williams stays at Oklahoma, he goes to USC and becomes the, the kid that we thought was going to be up for the Heisman. And I, I mean, I think they're going to light up the scoreboard at SC and the Pac-12 and they're going to do whatever they want to do. And they're going to they're going to have a hotbed to recruit in Cali. That's a great place for for young, talented players that want to go to Los Angeles. You can't beat the weather. You can't beat the environment. You just can't beat it. It's a great place for him to be and for him to go back and continue his success and not have to deal with all the, the SEC, you know, the fight to get to the top against Nick Saban. And remember, Spencer Radler, as of Monday, has entered the transfer portal, sending out a note today to Oklahoma saying, thank you, but essentially, see you later. I want to be used somewhere, excuse me. So we'll see if he does go to USC. Lincoln Riley off to USC. Another question is who who goes to LSU, but my God, gosh, talk about the scrutiny of the NFL. You got to basically go undefeated if you're a college coach or just beat Ohio State, as Jim Harbaugh found out on Saturday. All right, guys, I want to end with this here, the last few minutes that we have. Well, hang I on, think- I want to, real quick, real uh, quick. All right, all right. You talk, about, you talk about coaching vacancies? If you're Jim Harbaugh, you get out of Michigan now, like it literally may not be this good ever again. You know what Penn State's got going? You caught Ohio State in the right day. Is this Harbaugh's exit key? Gets him to the playoff, win the Big Ten? Hey, I told you I'd do great things. Now I'm out of here. Uh, no, because I because I think, to be quite honest with you, this is the best chance Michigan's going to have to have multiple years of success. I mean, let, let's be honest with Michigan. Uh, and, and if we got if we got to take up the rest of the show, that's fine. You, you know, there are so many college programs, right, that I think, especially in the Big Ten, are great programs. They just don't win that one game. You look at Michigan. If not for the Ohio State game, this is a one-loss team every year in the Big Ten Championship. That was quite literally their only hump. Now, are they going to be able to beat Ohio State consistently? I don't know. What I do know is that this team is starting to finally figure it out and finally figure out that they can stick to their identity, which is running the football. I I don't know. I I mean, I don't think Jim is that unsecure at Michigan. And, And to be quite honest with you, I don't see why he would leave. He finally has gotten to where he feels like he can run the program successfully. Now, if an NFL job comes, okay, but I don't see him leaving. Jovan, do you? I mean, I think it's, I think he, he's borderline. He could, he could go. He could stay. I don't think they beat Ohio State again or Penn State, for that matter, in the next couple of years because those guys are going to recruit. They're going to continue to get high-powered players, and they're going to be really good. I think they caught Ohio State at the right time. And they were able to impose their will on them. But I, I don't I just don't see Michigan being a place that attracts the recruits that they need to consistently beat Ohio State as well as Penn State uh, in that division. I mean, it, it's going to be tough, um, but will he leave? Will he go? I'm not really sure what he does. But I mean, if he was if, if he was going to leave, I think now would be the time where he'd be, you know, the most sought after. Well, and we all know that large standing coaches can just get up and leave whenever. Also, you got to love the people who are comparing. And I even, I'm guilty of this. I, I admitted 
you know, the Lincoln Riley announcement is the same thing as Aaron Rodgers saying he's immunized. Well, number one, Lincoln Riley didn't straight up lie. He told the truth. And number two, talking about your COVID vaccination status is different than saying you're not going to take the job in the South. Anyway, we got to get going today. Good show. Good overreaction Monday. We all are pessimistic about the Steelers and Browns. The Bills, eh, we'll see. They got to play the division leading Patriots upcoming next Monday night. On Friday, a couple of topics we didn't get to. We're going to talk about the chaos and MLB free agency. So get ready for that, gentlemen, because it is absolutely freaking bonkers at this point. We're also going to talk about high school football playoffs. And if the Pennsylvania Athletic Association, you know, the guys who make the games, make the brackets, if there should be a change in how the state playoffs are determined, because I'm hearing a lot of people upset that teams are getting home games in high school football playoffs as late as the state semifinals. Gentlemen, enjoy your guys' week. Good stuff today. Uh, and uh, hopefully we have better news next time we come on the air with these, these local teams here. Thank you, Isaac. All right. All right, Critical Eye Podcast wrapping up on Monday. We'll see you all on Friday. Next episode coming up in a few days. Until then, enjoy your work week. Stay safe, healthy, everybody. Make sure you stay safe on the roads there, too.